Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Smart to Zero podcast presented by Steel Post Media. I am your host, Alex Fannebecker, and I'm so happy you could join me today. Be sure to throw a follow to the man who shares my podcast every week with you, the creator of Steel Post Media, Oz Marley. You can find him on Twitter at Steel Post Media or on the web at www.steelpostmedia.com. Also, be sure to check out our boy Dallas Barnes on Twitter at AllWrestling420. Uh, He's just had an interview post within the last two weeks. He's got some more coming up, and I'm looking forward to reading everything he puts out there. Don't forget, you can also go back and listen to our past episodes on Mid-South or on the WWE pay-per-views or uh, my interview with Robert Morotek from Inner Strength Martial Arts by visiting SteelPostMedia.com. And as always, a big thank you to Noah Carroll at 7NoahBC for our intro music. I'm going to be doing something a little bit new in the near future. I'm going to keep going with this with the uh, Mid South Wrestling, uh, simply because I'm really enjoying it. But uh, Dallas clued me in uh, to a tape study for thirty challenge, and the point is you make a list of thirty wrestlers, one for each day, and you watch one match that's about 15 minutes or longer and you report on it. And the idea is you you really want to dig into this match. You don't want a lot of bullshit. And um, I loved it. I love the idea, and I do have my list of 30 wrestlers. Uh, I'm going to give you my first seven in which matches those are going to be. Um, now, these aren't going to be daily releases for me. I'm going to be watching the matches daily and taking notes, but I'll be sprinkling these in on the Wednesday episodes and maybe uh, releasing a few bonus episodes if we can get some guests to come on and talk about the same matches. Uh, the first reviews will drop soon, so keep an eye out for those. And what I'm looking at, uh, first I'm looking at Buddy Landell. And I'm looking at the uh, Smoky Mountain Super Bowl of Wrestling show versus Shawn Michaels. I had to go on YouTube to find that one. Second is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, and that is William Regal. Or uh, it actually took me forever to start calling him William Regal. I was calling him Steven Regal up until probably about four or five years ago. Uh, He has a a brutal match against uh, Fit Finley at WCW Uncensored 96. After that will be the Steiner Brothers, their WCW Halloween Havoc match in 1990 versus the Nasty Boys. Uh, Fourth, I've got Steve Austin, uh, preferably non-WWE Steve Austin. And I have a WCW Starcade 93 match versus Dustin Rhodes, two out of three falls for the U.S. Championship. Uh, That's on the network, as are the Regal and Steiner Brothers matches. Fifth is Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and I'm, I'm, I went to YouTube to find this one. I'm looking at the Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. It's a dog collar match. This one is, I want to say it's only about 10 or 11 minutes long, but I've heard of this match before. I've heard it's pretty brutal, and I want to take a look at it. Uh, sixth is Kenny Omega, and I'm looking at the G1 Climax 27 versus Okada. That's on YouTube. And then seventh, I'm looking at Lance Storm, and this one I struggled with. There was, uh, I wanted one of his matches with Chris Candido from ECW, I believe it was on a pay-per-view with the finish coming uh, with the top rope powerbomb by Candido, but I I, I couldn't find it for some reason. Um, So instead, I'm going to go with another favorite. ECW Anarchy Rules 99, Lance Storm versus Jerry Lynn, also on the network. So keep an eye out for those, and as we get close to the end, I'll reveal the next seven and which matches we're going to look at there. But uh, there we have it. So without much further ado, let's jump to the meat of the program. Today we're covering Mid-South Wrestling TV episode from April 24th, 1982. And the card is as follows. We've got Paul Orndorff taking on the giant Larry Higgins. 
Iron Mike Sharp against Ron Cheatham. Uh, we've got the first women's match I've seen on, on Mid-South yet in Wendy Richter versus Velvet McIntyre. We have Bob Roop teaming with Tully Blanchard to take on Coco Samoa and Buddy Landell. We have the Masked Assassin against Terry Gibbs. And finally, the Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika, teaming with the one-man gang to take on Junkyard Dog, Dick Murdoch, and Mr. Olympia. So Boyd Pierce welcomes us yet again to another episode of Mid-South Wrestling, joined this week at the commentary table by Jim Ross, and they kick us right into the first match. Uh, so Paul Orndorff versus Larry Higgins to kick off the show. Before we get into the match, last week I talked about how big Larry Higgins was. And I mean, this guy's monstrous. He's not chiseled. He doesn't have the physique. You know, th this isn't like a, a Braun Strowman big, but he's he's got that huge frame. And I, I've been looking for the past two weeks to find something definitive about Larry Higgins. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard that uh, he was also called Hacksaw Higgins. I've heard that he had a couple of other names, and then, no wait, he didn't have those names. Uh, quite frankly, the handful of different sources I've been able to find, I've either been able to dispute with just the matches I've seen here, or the facts don't line up with each other. So if anybody out there has any reliable information on Larry Higgins, I'm wanting to learn more. I want to do a little spotlight on him because the guy moves pretty quickly for such a huge guy. I mean, he makes he makes Orndorff look like, you know, a, a little person here. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Zero. I will credit you on the episode. If you have any solid information, shoot me a link, shoot, drop me a line because I want to know more about this guy. Uh, it looks like he wrestled uh, into the early 90s, 90 or 91. So that's a, a pretty pretty long career for somebody that I can't seem to find jack shit on. So they start with a lockup. Higgins breaks clean against the ropes, which is surprising because he's clearly the heel here. Uh, he gets uh, Higgins gets suckered into a small package and kicks out and rolls to the outside of the ring. So even though it looks like he's got about a foot on Orndorff and God knows how many pounds he's playing the coward heel so far, uh, when he comes back in, Orndorff goes to Higgins' arm, taking him down to the hammerlock and another rope break. So, uh, Orndorff so far has been trying to play the speed game, doing it very well. They tie up in a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, uh, with, with, which Orndorff actually broke up with a few right hands, followed by a big, a big right that took Higgins down. And it wasn't just like your normal punch, you know, punch bump. It was, uh, big right hand. Higgins stands up and falls backwards. Like he really clocked him. It was pretty, it was actually pretty entertaining to watch. Uh... From here, Orndorff really starts rolling. You know, you start to see uh, uh, you start to see a big a big drop kick, uh, knee lift, and finally, uh, what looked like it should have been the finish was a power slam, botched really poorly. Uh, I don't know if Higgins didn't go up for him or if Orndorff just didn't get the right grip, but uh, he did get him up and over. Gets a one count. They repeat the power slam uh, spot, and uh, this time Orndorff was able to get him up and take him down, get Higgins up and down for the three. Higgins immediately gets up after the power slam, no-sells it uh, after the three count, and starts talking about how Orndorff pulled his tights. I can't imagine that Orndorff would be too happy about that backstage, uh, considering everybody else I've seen take the power bomb over the last month and a half hasn't moved after. So your winner by power slam, Paul Orndorff at 2 minutes, 40 seconds. We get the expected splash screen between matches and come right into match two, which is... Uh, <clears throat> um, Iron Mike Sharp taking on Ron Cheatham. 
again, big man, little man here. Sharp absolutely dwarfs Ron Cheatham. Uh, they shake hands to start, and Cheatham, classic heel, goes low with the knee. Uh, tries to go, uh, tries to go for Sharp's arm. Uh, Iron Mike gets pissed and picks Ron Cheatham up by one arm and plants him on the top turnbuckle, uh, really just to send a message. And then he walks away clean. Uh, Sharp backs off. Cheatham gets back down, and they lock up. Cheatham takes a side headlock on Sharp. Uh, which Sharp reverses into a uh, into a top wrist lock and then into an armbar under the ground. Uh, now, now see if you can imagine this. Cheatham is on the ground. Mike Sharp's got him in an armbar, you know, a, a kneeling armbar. He's not across his chest. And Iron Mike Sharp starts lifting up Ron Cheatham by that arm and slamming him repeatedly into the mat. And we're not talking six inches here. It looks like he's coming up two or three feet each time and taking a flat back bump <laughs> just by having his arm pulled. Uh, I, I thought it, it wasn't it wasn't funny, but it made me laugh because it was this giant in Iron Mike ragdolling Ron Cheatham around the ring. <laughs> uh, Cheatham tried a fireman's takeover. Uh, fireman's carry takeover which sharp rolled through to maintain the arm bar that was actually really cool you don't see mike sharp roll, uh, move that quickly especially with somebody who's so much smaller than him uh, cheatham does finally get the break with a few right hands but then he's met with a standing drop kick from from sharp and then sharp locks on a leg scissors it keeps the uh, keeps it slow for a few minutes uh until cheatham goes to the eyes to break the hold uh this is really the only time in the match that Cheatham gets any sort of sustained offense. A flurry of forearms, a few punches here or there. And again, it, it, it pisses Sharp off. He fires up, uh, sends Cheatham into the ropes, and, and it cinches him in a big bear hug to take the win. So uh, Iron Mike, Schna Mike Sharp takes the win via bear hug at 3 minutes, 6 seconds. This was actually a lot of fun. Uh, in the past... Over the past several weeks, I've seen Mike Sharp in these matches. He's, uh, I would say he's very generous with what he gives up. You know, he, he's uh, a guy that size being put over the way that Jim Ross and Boyd Pierce put him over with his boxing background and everything else, and just being freakishly strong and fit. Uh, his opponents always seem to get in a good amount of offense. It's never pure domination. Even in this case where Ron Cheatham looks... I, he, he looks like a smaller Kevin Sullivan, and I don't know that that's really possible. But um, uh, a lot of fun to watch here because Sharp got to be fast. You know, he got standing drop kicks, uh, roll through submissions, things like that. And uh, I, I, I hope to see more of that from Mike Sharp in the future, or in, I guess in the past, <laughs> as, as it were. But um, uh, jump back to the splash screen. And uh, our next match is a women's match with Wendy Richter taking on Velvet McIntyre. Uh, some of the commentary at the beginning really doesn't hold up, but this is, what, 20, 30, 36 years ago? Yeah, 36 years ago. Um, but uh, uh, they start the match. This, this match is fast from start to finish. I don't think either one of them caught their breath until after the match was over. Uh, it starts, Velvet takes down Richter, Richter with a single single leg takedown. Uh, Richter kicks out of it. Richter returns the favor with a single leg. 
Uh, McIntyre kicks out. Uh, Richter with another single leg, followed by sustained offense on the knee. That stomps, elbows, leg drops, um, and McIntyre quickly turns it around into a cross leg lock. It almost looked like the beginning of an STF or, or a regal stretch uh, without uh, without cinching the head or an Indian death lock. Uh, Richter gets to the ropes and uh, and powders. Yeah, slides through the bottom rope, gets out of the hold, gets away, get, uh, climbs back up on the apron. Velvet grabs her by the hair and pulls her over the top rope. Uh, Richter reverses again, has a standing surfboard submission, uh, kicks McIntyre into the ref for a bump, and McIntyre rolls around the ring with the referee. Uh, very out of place, because at this point, it's been a very athletic back and forth, you'd almost say a pure wrestling match. And then there's this comedy spot in the middle where Velvet gets kicked into the referee. They go down, they roll, they, he can't seem to get off of her. It just it reminded me of the Austin Powers scene, you know, on the airplane. Oh, I fell over, I fell over again. And, and it was, um, uh, I mean, I, I get it. I, I get that, um, uh, how do I say this delicately? I don't think the match was being treated seriously by some which was a shame because these women were working their asses off. And it's a pretty pretty short match, but still, it was really entertaining. I didn't think they needed the ref spot, but who the hell am I to tell them not to do it? Um, they finally break from the referee. The first time they stopped the entire match, and uh, uh, neither one has been able to hold any sort of sustained offense. Uh, Richter... Uh, Sends Velvet off the ropes, gets a big boot and a body slam to get the first real solid control, which is to say more than, you know, five to ten seconds of offense in a row. Um, and she starts uh, uh, delivering chain snap near suplexes. So there's one, there's two, then the third one Velvet cartwheels out of. And Richter has to go to the eyes immediately to, to ma- maintain control. Uh, sends Velvet off the ropes, Velvet leapfrogs Richter and rolls her up with a modified sunset flip for the win out of nowhere. And uh, so your winner, Velvet McIntyre, with a sunset flip at four minutes, eight seconds. Uh, One of the things you hear, uh, how to throw this to, if you listen to Tony Schiavone's podcast and his criticism of uh, the cruiserweight wrestling in that they don't sell anything. Uh, This kind of reminded me of that. The action was so fast, and it was really entertaining. And I know they only had, even though they give them the 10-minute time limit, you know, these these ladies were likely booked for four to five minutes to to end at 4.08. And they had a lot to get in. And uh, especially being a woman wrestling in the 70s and 80s, I can't imagine it was an easy road to say the least. So you had to, you know, as Steve Austin would say, get your shit in. Um, I love the match. Didn't care for the ref spot, but uh, I'd love to see a match between these two that goes 10 to 15 minutes because I bet they could really deliver if they were given enough time to slow down and sell. So uh, this is actually my favorite match of the whole night right here. It was just, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't, um, it wasn't the women's wrestling that I watched as a teenager, which was a glorified tits and ass show. Um, so really a lot of fun and a lot of action for four minutes. Uh, they take us straight into match four, 
and that is Bob Roop and Tully Blanchard taking on Coco Samoa and Buddy Landell. Uh, Landell starts off with, with Blanchard. Uh, Blanchard shoots under the lockup and takes Landell down with a, with a waist lock, and Landell escapes. Uh, Tully does the comedy spot, stumbles, falls into the ropes uh, neck first, and Tully then tags in Bob Roop. Landell gets over to Coco and tags him in. Uh, Coco starts attacking Roop with chops and tosses and hip uh, hip tosses. Uh, Blanchard comes in illegally, and Coco catches him with a hip toss. Uh, so he's he's basically fighting both folks here for a little while. Goes back to a headlock and, on Bob Roop, and Roop gets him close to the ropes and launches him through the middle rope onto the floor. Uh, now, one of the things I've noticed with these Mid-South shows, the, this... Um, this studio or this coliseum, wherever they're filming, and I'm going to have to find out where that is, I should know, there's no mat. It goes straight down to the cement, and I don't know if that's just a Watts decision or if that's because uh, I know in some places the State Athletic Commission required mats. But, uh, uh, yeah, he tosses uh, Coco out to, out to the outside of the ring hard. Uh, Coco gets back up to the apron eventually here, and... Uh, Hits Roop in the midsection with the uh, with a shoulder between ropes two and three, and then really launched himself into a springboard sunset flip. And he actually jumped so far that when they did the sunset flip, Bob Roop's head is in the ropes on the far side of the ring, and that breaks up the pin attempt. Uh, so really powerful springboard for for Coco, and uh, I, you probably remember from you know two three maybe four weeks ago. When I saw Coco Samoa for the first time, I was I was cracking a few jokes at him here and there. You know, he looked like a, a mid South's version of Superfly Jimmy Snuka minus a foot and the abs, uh, or a foot of height and uh, the chiseled abs and all that. Um, I stand corrected. You know, uh, everything I've seen since then, Coco Samoa has been really impressive, really fast. Uh, no noticeable mistakes that you know, like a fan like me would be able to see. Uh, just you know, really solid, and and this team with Buddy Landell, even though it's just a you know a spot tag sort of thing for TV, is uh, is really impressive, and that's because Landell's fast enough to keep up with him as well. And Bob Roop and Tully Blanchard are Bob Roop and Tully Blanchard. They're just you know Blanchard especially is one of the best that's ever been in the ring. Um, so uh, we just had the springboard uh, sunset flip, and. Uh, Roop crawls over to Tully Blanchard after the rope break. Blanchard gets tossed around by Coco before uh, Buddy Landell tags back in. There's a blind tag to Roop, uh, making you think that the heels are going to take the advantage on Buddy Landell, but he catches both of them. Another series, you know, uh, the, the catch and feed, the hip tosses, and the body uh, body slams. Now the fans are really starting to heat up big time for Buddy Landell. And uh, uh, you see Roop come back in. Uh, into the ring slowly. Landell tags Coco Samoa back in. Um, Roop gets out of the ring. Blanchard comes in. They get the double team on Coco to turn the tides for the heels for the first time in the match. So we've been going before, you know, about four minutes right now, and it's been pure shine for the baby faces. JR is putting over uh, how the heels, now that they have control, are keeping Coco Samoa in their corner to prevent the tag, and that's exactly what's happening. He's never crossing that midpoint in the ring when you cut it diagonally. He's never getting close to Buddy Landell for this this sequence here. Uh, Blanchard tags back in, drops some standing elbows on Coco's head, 
a quick quick tag back to Roop for a short double team. Uh, Roop goes for a small package. Coco kicks out, and then another fast tag back to Tully Blanchard. So we're seeing quick tags, double teams. We're seeing tag team wrestling from Bob Roop, Bob Roop, and Tully Blanchard here. Uh, Coco does eventually get the hot tag to Buddy Landell after dodging a corner splash, uh, and in the double turn here. Uh, Blanchard gets the hot tag to Roop, who sneaks a high knee, followed by a big leg drop on uh, uh, on Buddy Landell, and gets the win. So Bob Roop, Tully Blanchard get the win after a big leg drop on Buddy Landell at 6 minutes, 5 seconds. Uh, again, another really fun match to watch. This one had some great tag team wrestling, especially from the heels. Um Certainly, watch it's worth watching. Uh, you know, a 30 40 minute wrestling show for this and the Velvet McIntyre match. You know, not to mention Mike Sharp and Paul Orndorff. I mean, you really can't go back, can't go wrong with any of those, but these two matches specifically were a lot of fun to watch. On uh, next, we've got uh, I, I call this the slowdown match of the night. <laughs> the masked assassin, you know, Jody Hamilton taking on Terry Gibbs. Uh, before the match, Pierce throws back to last week when the Assassin double-crossed Ernie Ladd, walked out on him in their tag team match against the Samoans, and actually came back to interfere later. I talked about that last week. I'm not going to dive into it much here. Um, and this is actually the first official match I've seen where the Assassin is a participant. You know, I saw him manage Paul Orndorff in WCW, and I've seen him several other places. And of course, we saw him on last week's show. Uh, so I wasn't sure what to expect here. Uh, and with the Assassin taking on Terry Gibbs, Assassin backs Gibbs up to the ropes in a collar and elbow tie-up. We get a clean break. Again, a surprise clean break with the heel that Assassin is. Then we get the uh, essentially four minutes of side headlocks. <laughs> the Assassin grabs a side headlock on Gibbs, takes him over, and they repeatedly get back to their feet. You know, uh, Gibbs will fight back to his feet try to turn that side headlock into a top wrist uh, a top wrist lock or a takedown and the assassin will get him back over and uh, a side headlock takeover to take him back down to the mat now one of the things assassin is doing even though there's there's not you know you don't have a list of offensive maneuvers uh, that would you know that would blow somebody away so to speak but what you do have is the assassin is taking the single hold and he's working it every time he takes him down every time he takes him every time the assassin takes terry gibbs down he starts leaning his body weight and and, and noticeably you know he gets up on his tiptoes and puts all of his weight on top of terry gibbs on the neck really working that side headlock and uh, the crowd is responding really well to it it's just one of those little details that you'd like to see on TV today. Is something that I could really easily see The Miz doing to Seth Rollins or to Finn Balor or anybody else he got into the ring with. Um, the Assassin does get a few hard right hands in just for fun before taking Gibbs back down with yet another headlock takeover. Uh, Gibbs again... We're, you know, we're getting closer to the end of the match here. Tries to reverse the headlock with another top wrist lock. Takes a knee to the abdomen and uh, the assassin has effectively silenced the crowd in a good way. Um, Gibbs loses his temper eventually, throws a few fists, followed by a hip toss. Uh, it doesn't last long. The assassin reverses, hits a drop kick, and a big headbutt for the win. 
The winner at 4 minutes 50 seconds with the big headbutt is the masked assassin, Jody Hamilton. And that takes us to our main event for the evening. Uh, One Man Gang and the Wild Samoans versus Junkyard Dog. The, <laughs> what they call the Redneck Marine, Dick Murdoch, and Mr. Olympia. Now prior to this match, uh, Pierce and JR throw us back to last week's match between Dick Murdoch and Bob Roop with Akbar's interference and uh, Roop eventually taking a powder as Murdoch loses his mind and chases people around with the trenching spade. <laughs> with only a few minutes left in the show, this six-man is going to have to be a fast-moving affair. Uh, the crowd explodes for JYD when his music hits, as is expected. We see it every every time he's on the show. And he starts off against one-man gang. They lock up. Uh, strength-wise, they have a stale break. Uh, and they're exchanging punches. JYD does hit one-man gang with a, a big right hand, takes him over the top rope, and one-man gang is selling for the first time since his debut. Uh, Sika interferes, and all six men are in. And Murdoch hits all three heels with the trenching spade, and the heels take a powder. The match is a no contest at a ridiculously quick two minutes and two seconds. Uh, so a lot going on in, this week in very short order. Um, definitely a theme here when the final match, uh, with the final match ending up as either a quick squash or a schmoz to close the show because they have TV time left. Um, realistically, as, as you know, me as someone who only about seven to eight weeks into Mid-South, Buddy Landell is, is really turning into the young stud. Uh, he's not always winning, but he's consistently on air each week. He's uh, stealing the show uh, from a baby from a babyface baby perspective. I haven't seen a bad match from him. Um, on the heel side, Tully Blanchard is scary smooth, and he's only been in the business about seven years. So I'd love to see the longer matches. I'd love to see them be able to slow down a little bit and make the fast stuff mean a little bit more. But like I've said before, the purpose of TV back then wasn't to showcase your payoff matches. You know, it was to get as many of your folks on TV as possible in short bursts and get interest to have folks show up and pay to see your payoff matches live. The downside to this is that there are likely thousands of matches that were no doubt full-on barn burners and no one saw them except for the folks in the arena. Uh, Rick Flair will tell you that he and Steamboat had hundreds of matches that were probably better than their famous trilogy, but no one except for the folks that bought that ticket will ever see them. And that's kind of a bummer, especially as a wrestling fan in the, in the modern age where I'd love to see a lot of these older matches. You know, I'd love to see some of these 45 and 60 minute broadways with with these uh, stars that certainly don't get their due in the modern era. But it just kind of is what it is, I guess. That's um, that's the name of the game. So if you can hit an event, hit an event. Don't let it go through because you never know what's going to be taped or not. And with that, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Smart to Zero podcast. I'm always interested in your feedback. If you'd like to hear a focused episode on a wrestler, like I said, right now I'm looking for information on Larry Higgins. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at SmartItAZero. Uh, I'd love to add a weekly watch-along style show for the Sunday Night Heat additions to the network. If you're interested in participating, hit me up. Don't forget to follow our friends Dallas Barnes at All Wrestling 420 and Oz Marley with Steel Post Media at Steel Post Media. Next week, we're going to keep moving forward with Mid-South TV. 
We're looking at the April 31st, 1982 episode, where we will see the debut of Hacksaw Jim Duggan in Mid-South Wrestling. So we have top to bottom, we've got uh, Jim Duggan and Skandar Akbar interviews. We have Tony Torres taking on the Assassin. Big Cat Ernie Ladd taking on Larry Higgins, two giants there. Ted DiBiase returning to Mid-South TV for the first time since he was injured against Bob Roop. Dick Murdoch taking on Jim Duggan in his debut. Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia taking on Bruiser Bob Sweetan and, and Ken Wayne. Coco Samoa takes on the one-man gang, and Buddy Landell closes the show against the Grappler, who we haven't seen since, I believe, the first or second episode I covered here. So, thank you so much for downloading and listening to me. It means a great deal to me that you take the time to do this. Um, you know, I will continue doing this for free. I don't care if we get 10 listeners. I don't care if we get 2,500 listeners like we had for the Greatest Royal Rumble. Uh, the fact that anybody wants to download this and listen... And, uh, and hopefully learn a little bit or have their interest peaked to the point where they check out some of this old older wrestling that maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves is uh, that's all I need. That's all I want. You know, this is just my small way in giving back to, as I've said every week, something that I've loved as a fan for 30 plus years. Um, don't forget, support your local wrestling promotions, support your local combat sports promotions, and your internet wrestling community, and for God's sake, be kind. Uh, I've been your host, Alex Fanabecker. We will see you next time right here on the Smarket to Zero podcast. <laughs> <laughs>